If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to look there today. The Constitution of the United States was just signed. America was officially a nation. And Benjamin Franklin walked out of the meeting room where many people were anxiously awaiting the news. And one lady by the name of Mrs. Powell walked up to Benjamin Franklin and said, So Mr. Franklin, what type of government have you delegates given us? Benjamin Franklin gave this reply, A republic, ma'am, if you keep it. (laughs) What he meant by that was, the Constitution laid the foundation for this to be a great nation. The question was, would the people live up to it in such a way they could keep it? See, Nehemiah, with God's help, not only rebuilt the wall, but restored a purpose, rekindled a passion. A city has been reborn. And the big question before the people is this. Could they keep it? Would they finish what Nehemiah had started? Nehemiah and the leaders understood that all the problems Jerusalem had experienced stemmed directly from their ancestors' decision to abandon God's law. They were wise enough to realize their disobedience and not military weakness was the ultimate reason their nation collapsed, that the city was destroyed, that their wall had been burned down. And they knew if God allowed the wall to be torn down once, he would certainly allow it to be torn down again, if necessary. And at the close of chapter 9, we see in verse 38, how the people developed this written covenant between themselves and God to make sure this would not happen again. Here's what it says. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are fixing their seals to it. In all these days and weeks and months of rebuilding the wall, these people learned two valuable lessons. They learned it costs to obey God. See, I won't lie to you, it does. It costs to obey God. When you finally, truly sell out to God, it will cost you time, money, comfort. It will certainly cost those people all of those things to rebuild the wall. But they also learned another lesson. It also costs more not to obey God. See, there's always a price to pay to obey God. It never pays to disobey Him. And these people had come to the most critical time in their life. And that is, were they going to live in such a way that they would be able to keep what God had given to them? In other words, would they finish strong? Several years ago, Jim Collins wrote a best-selling book called Built to Last. And he presented the results of a six-year quest to identify and research the development of what he called the visionary companies. These were companies like Marriott, 3M, Sony, Walt Disney. And he defined them this way. Visionary companies are premier institutions, crown jewels in their industries, widely admired by their peers and having a track record of making a significant impact on the world around them. He found several characteristics, common denominators that were shared by each of these companies. And one of those characteristics was an uncompromising commitment to a set of core values. He quotes Tom Watson Jr., the chief executive of IBM, about the importance of following a guiding set of principles. Tom said this, I believe that any organization, in order to survive and achieve success, must have a sound set of beliefs on which its premises 
of all of its policies and actions. Next, I believe the most important single factor in the corporate success is faithful adherence to those beliefs. Beliefs must always come before policies, practices, and goals. The latter must always be altered if they are seen to violate the fundamental beliefs. The people of Jerusalem in chapter 10, they make three core commitments that would guarantee they would keep what God had given them. It would guarantee that they finished strong. See, I want my ministry to finish strong. I want my marriage to finish strong. I don't, I don't want to lose one blessing that God has for me. And I don't want our church to lose a blessing that God may have for us. So if we today, both as individuals and together as the church, make these commitments in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, in our businesses, in whatever God has called us to do, we will finish strong. And it starts here. Surrender to the Word of God. Nehemiah 10, verse 29. All these now join their brothers, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. See, with Nehemiah's name heading the list, 84 people put their seal on this covenant they had made with God. They had heard God's word read. They had heard it explained. And now they were committing themselves to obeying what they heard. And it's a big deal. It's a serious matter to seal a document. Because it meant you were taking a solemn oath before the Lord. Numbers 30 verse 2 says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all the proceeds out of his mouth. A covenant was simply to show a person truly meant business with God. I mean, if you think about it, that's what a marriage license is, right? It's a marriage covenant. When you sign your marriage license, you make a covenant to be faithful to the one you are marrying. Well, I want to make a proposal to you. If God is God, if the Bible is God's Word, then it should determine two things about us. It should determine what we believe and determine how we behave. The number one reason we should never steal from someone else is not because we might get caught and go to jail. It's, it's because God's Word says you shall not steal. In fact, the number one reason we shouldn't lie or cheat or cover your neighbor's things or break any of the other commandments is because God's Word tells us not to. And you'll never mean business with God. And God will never mean business with you until you surrender all that you are, all that you have, all that you believe, and all that you will do to the Word of God. A man you may have never heard about was a great Christian, a great Bible teacher, A.W. Tozer. Put it this way. Truth divorced from life is not truth in its biblical sense, but something else, something less. No man is better for knowing that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. The devil knew that. No man is better for knowing that God so loved the world of men that he gave his only begotten son to die for their redemption. In hell, there are millions who know that. Theological truth is useless until it's obeyed. See, we have to first surrender to the Word of God. 
And then we have to submit to the will of God. These Jews were surrounded by idolaters, by pagans, by unbelievers, uh, by all these who wanted them to become a part of their social, religious, business society. They wanted them to live just like they lived, act like they acted, and do what they did. That's why it says this in verse 28 of chapter 10. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand. See, these people were beginning to see Israel as it could be, as it should be. And they wanted others to see that they were completely sold out to the will of God, regardless of the cost. See, we need to understand that connection between God's will and God's word. God's will, God has a will for our life. There are certain ways he wants you to behave. There are certain things he wants you to believe. And 100% of those two things are found in God's word. See, the, pipe, the purpose of the Bible isn't just for information. The purpose of the Bible is for transformation. God's will is for you to be different so that you can then make a difference. Chuck Sundahl said, we can't make a difference until we are different. So how do you do that? How do you become different so you can make a difference? Well, by finding God's will and God's word and doing it. And the rest of this chapter is a specific application of God's word in the practical lives of these people so that they would do God's will. In verse 30, we are reminded it is the will of God for them to marry only fellow believers. It says this, We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. You see, for years and years, believing Jews have been marrying unbelieving pagans and Gentiles. And it became a problem because it was causing many of them to compromise their beliefs. Some of them even to desert their faith. See, for anyone who is single, I can't tell you who it is for God's will for you to marry. But I can tell you who it is God's will for you not to marry. It's God's will to not marry a non-Christian. I mean, think about it. A Christian is someone who claims to love Jesus more than anyone or anything else in this world. So how can they marry someone who doesn't love Jesus at all? You'd be marrying someone who doesn't love Uh, at at all what you claim to love the most. This principle is so important, it was said again in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6. It said, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That is not partnership, that is war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? That's what happens when Christians and non-Christians marry. I mean, honestly, the three most important decisions our kids will ever make is this. What am I going to do with Jesus Christ? What am I going to do with my life? And who am I going to marry? And God has a will for us in these areas. He has a master he wants us to follow. He has a ministry he wants us to do. And he has a mate he wants us to marry. And the only way we get these answered correctly is when you make sure you're following God's will for your life. In fact, God's will is so specific, he wants to get into your 
calendar. Verse 31. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and cancel all debts. You see, the Gentiles treated the Sabbath like any other day of the week. Just another work day. But the Jews were to rest. The Sabbath was that weekly reminder that they were God's chosen people and they had a special calling in this world. They were not doing business on the Lord's Day. You know, I read that and I, and I couldn't help but think about Mr. Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A. If you know anything about Chick-fil-A, you know that they are closed on Sundays. Every one of his franchises is closed on Sunday. In his book, It's Easier to Succeed Than to Fail, he talks about the number one comment he's heard from other businessmen about the way he runs his business. And it's this. Look at all the business you're losing by not being open on Sunday. But this is what Kathy said. He said, in the shopping malls where we locate our Chick-fil-A restaurants, we generate more sales per square foot in six days than most others do in seven. And if you talk to him, the reason he closes his restaurant on Sunday is not because he makes more money. I mean, he would do it if he made less money. No, the reason he does it is because he's surrendered to the will of God for his life. Do you remember this? The only place where God can bless you is in the center of his will for your life. And so as part of that will, there is one last core commitment to be made if we're going to finish strong. And that is this, to support the work of God. See, beginning in verse 32 through the end of the chapter, the phrase, house of our God, is used nine times. Today, the house of God is spiritual, not material. But the way we care for the house of worship that we call the church still indicates what we think about God. And God specially commanded the people to support his work. Verse 32. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings on the Sabbaths, new moon festivals, and appointed feasts, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, and for all the duties of the house of our God. The money the people gave was to be used for the work of the house of God. And the reason is simple. The way God finances his work is through his people. Do you notice the extent of the Lord's claim on their lives touched everything they had? Their, their children, their cattle, their produce, their wine, their oil. In fact, their giving was to go deep. He said this in verse 35. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops, of every fruit tree. As it is written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Two things were to characterize what they gave to God's work. They were to give the first of what they had. They were to give the best of what they had. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor God with everything you own. Give Him the first and the best. And the last sentence of this chapter captures the spirit of why people were determined to support God's Word. 
It says, we will not neglect the house of our God. The word neglect literally means to let go or let loose. It means to forsake, to, to basically ignore. And years before, God brought a devastating charge against the people of Israel through the prophet Haggai. He said, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lays in ruins? God rebuked the people because they were so busy taking care of their own house, they neglected to take care of God's house. I mean, how applicable is that to where we are at KV? Right, we have, we have bills to be paid in order for ministry to be accomplished. And there's only one way God will get that done. It's through our tithes and our offerings. And it begins by giving your tithes to our budget to help on the ongoing daily work of the church. But it continues with you giving of yourself above and beyond your tithes so that way we have workers to help in the ministry of the church. See, all of this goes together. When you surrender to the Word of God, you submit to the will of God. When you submit to the will of God, you support the work of God. Because that is God's Word to you and His will for you. See, don't get the idea that what I've talked about today is just about the big things in life. Right? These three commitments are to be a part of your daily lifestyle. I read something about uh, sailors back in the days of wooden ships. And sailors in that day had much to fear, including pirates and storms and diseases. But their greatest fear was what the ship might encounter, what they called doldrums. The doldrums was an area of the ocean near the equator that was characterized by calm, light-shifting winds. And it could mean death for the crew. The ship's food and water supply would be exhausted as they would drift for days, even weeks, just waiting for a breeze that would put them back on course. And if it didn't, they would get stuck in these doldrums and they would die. You know, it's easy for a church or marriage or a nation or a business, a family, to get stuck in doldrums and just drift. You know, especially as we continue on now almost a year into this pandemic, but there's a way we can keep that from happening. And we can finish strong by surrendering to the Word of God, by submitting to the will of God, by supporting the work of God. Because if you do these things, not only do you please God, not only will you fulfill your purpose in this life, you will max out in doing for God and being for God what should have been done and what you could have done. I mean, is that your desire? To fulfill your purpose for God in this life? Then come. Come up after church and talk to me. Stop by the office this week. Visit with me. Let, let's make this year even better as we strive to max out in doing for God and being for God all that we can. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for the lessons that we have learned here from Nehemiah. And Lord, I pray you help each of us find ways to submit to your will in our life. Lord, guide us in how to best support the ministry here at KV so that your work will be accomplished, 
so that lives will be changed. Lord, give us your wisdom. Give us your boldness to step out in faith for you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.